Hear the word of the Lord. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. They all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We'll give you thanks for meeting with us through your word, with the power of your spirit. I pray that you would speak to us, your children. That you would encourage us and strengthen us in all good. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, one of my uh, favorite uh, children authors um, is Shel Silverstein. And, you know, he's one of those authors that actually I didn't discover until I was in college. And I just loved his poetry, mostly because I could actually understand his poetry, if I'm honest. Uh, um, But he didn't just write poetry. He he also wrote some short stories. I think one of his most famous is one of my favorites. Uh, It's The Giving Tree. Uh, Many of you are probably, you know, familiar with this story. But it's this story about this little boy who meets this tree. The tree gives him a, a place for shade in the, in the, the hot summer day, gives him a place to play up in his limbs. And then eventually uh, the story goes where the, the boy needs something from the tree. He needs wood to build a house. And so the tree actually gives, lets him chop him down and, and then he's just left as this little stump and the boy goes and builds a house. Years pass, if I'm remembering the story correctly, and he comes back as, a, as an old man and, and the tree's like, I have nothing left to give you. He's like, well, I don't need anything anymore. I just need a place to sit. And the tree's like, yeah, I can do that for you. And so the story ends with the old man sitting on this tree. It's this beautiful story, this radical generosity, this tree willing to give everything for the sake of this little boy. Um, it's, it's an amazing story. I think it's so radical. The stories like this, stories like this widow, actually make us a little uncomfortable. Um, so much so that actually people have rewritten The Giving Tree. I don't know if you've seen this rewritten story, um, but... But they were worried that this tree was being taken advantage of. And we don't want our children reading um, like this, assuming that they should give of themselves sacrificially. And so it's, someone gave it a new title. And the new, new title is this, Tree Who Set Healthy Boundaries. Um, and, then, and then there's this kind of image of the tree and, they, you know, and the tree's telling the boy, no, you know. And it's kind of this long list of reasons why this tree should not be given anything to this boy. Um, but, but it kind of begs the question, why are people so uncomfortable with the thought of someone giving everything that they had away? Why are we uncomfortable with that thought? Because I think in our, in our world today, and even in our own hearts in this room, if we're honest, we're consumed by materialism. I think it's one of the greatest idols Uh, of our day and age is materialism. And I think one of the roots behind materialism is just downright selfishness. If we're honest, we're a selfish people. We have all sorts of ways of hiding it, but I think it's true, me too. Um, But because our idol is the self, we serve the self at all costs. And you see this 
to our spending habits. And the, the thought of giving everything we have away sounds like the craziest thing you could ever imagine. It's reckless, it's unsensible. Even reading the story of the widow becomes uncomfortable for us because Jesus seems to be commending something that we might think is actually unwise to actually do. So how could we possibly give everything that we have away? How could we possibly be like this widow? I think the answer we're gonna discover is love. Because the truth is, we actually already give all of ourselves to something. Um, all of our money, our resources, it all goes to something. And it's our loves. And Jesus, who speaks more about money than anything else, is hinting that a key aspect of discipleship, a key aspect of what it means to follow Jesus is tied up with our money. Uh, it, you know, we get uncomfortable talking about money. It's not, not, no one likes talking about it. No one likes going to financial advisor. Sorry for your financial advisor. No one really likes you. <laughs> uh, no one feels comfortable talking about money. Except for Jesus doesn't mind talking about money because Jesus is the one that's like, he's always poking at our most uncomfortable spots. And usually you want to find your idol. What's that one thing you don't want to talk about with anybody? And there's a good indication that that is the very place that Jesus wants to touch and talk about and make you feel uncomfortable with. And that's what he's doing today with us with this picture of this widow. He puts this picture of a widow before us and says, be like her. As we come to this final of uh, four sermons um, on this series on the kingdom of God that we've been working through, you know, we've been asking the question, what does it mean for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? How do we actually do that? And we first discovered it happens through prayer. The prayer is the, the primary means of which God's we participate in, in, in the kingdom coming on earth um, as it is in heaven. Secondly, we, we learn how to have proper kingdom expectations and seeing that the, in looking at the, the parable of the, the mustard seed and the, and the leaven and, and the expectation that God's kingdom actually will grow and cover this earth like he promised it would. Last week, we talked about legacy and what does it mean to pass the kingdom on to our, to our children, that the work that we're engaged in is actually bigger than ourselves, and we need, to, we need to play our part and then pass it off to our children. And this week, this final week, we're going to talk about generosity and how this kingdom comes through our generosity. As Jesus is building his kingdom, he's calling us as children to live our lives according to his kingdom, and that very much includes the resources that he's given us. The question um, we're asking this morning about the kingdom is this. Does Jesus care about our money? Does he care about what we give? And barring from others, you know, the answer is both yes and no. Uh, yes, Jesus deeply cares about what you give. Um, and no, and on another hand, he actually doesn't care at all. Um, so first, uh, Jesus cares deeply about our giving. Let's look with me back here at verse 41. It says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. So this is kind of a weird thing. This is one of the things you read past. This wasn't normal back then, and it's not normal for us either to have someone just sitting back. Imagine me or Darren or someone else just sitting there by the offering box, just kind of like this after service, like, yeah, okay, yeah, no, you add a zero. Um, uh, move that comma over. It would be, it'd be really bizarre, right? It was equally bizarre here uh, for Jesus. Um, it, what makes this even more strange is that for the most part in Jesus' teaching, uh, he doesn't talk a lot about outward actions. Of course, there's always implications of outward actions, but he's focused mostly on people's hearts. Even if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, 
right? If you have hate, heart, it's murder. He's, he's deeply concerned about people's hearts um, because anyone can fake uh, being a Christian. Anyone can fake our loves. It uh, happens all the time. But the one place it seems that you can't fake your love, your devotion, is in your giving. And so he's watching it because what he sees there will be an indication of what's in hearts. And so he cares about the money. He watches it. Why? Because what we do with our money ultimately echoes our loves. We can't help but spend our money on our loves. Whatever captures our hearts captures our finances. This is why Jesus says, listen, you can't serve both God and money. It's impossible. One will bend its knee to the other. Uh, This isn't something you can fake. You won't ever give sacrificially towards something that you do not love. You won't do it. Um, This is why Jesus is concerned. Uh, This isn't something you can't fake. Uh, If you follow the trail of money, you will find what you love. And if you did that for yourself, what would you... What would you find? If you follow the trail of money for yourself, what would that indicate your love is? I mean, for many of us, it would probably, if you have children in this room, it'll indicate that probably you deeply love your children because they take all your money. Um, it's just the way it is. You know, like you look at your grocery bill, you look at your house, your vehicles, all that stuff is usually the size and proportion it is to, to your family. And that's not a bad thing. We should. We're called to care and love our children. But what does your bank account indicate what you love? We always give in proportion to our love. This is why Jesus is deeply concerned about you. This is why he's sitting Our generosity is because he's, he's concerned with what we love. He doesn't want us to give our love to false gods, to idols. So he watches what we do with the resources that he's granted each one of us. And The reality is, none of the resources that any of us have, no matter how great or how small, are our own. Um, They all belong to the Lord, and he's blessed you with the talents he has, with the ingenuity, with whatever creativity, with even work ethic. He's given that all to you, so you can use that to expand the kingdom, that you can earn money, the resources that all belong to the Lord, so that you can spend them on his kingdom. And so, what do your spending habits say about your love? Um... Jesus cares about your giving because he cares about your love. And while Jesus deeply cares about your giving, in some senses, he couldn't care less about it. Um, And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our morning is the second part, that Jesus couldn't care less about your giving. Look at this as it plays out here in verse 41. It says, Many rich people put in large sums, And the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So if the amount of giving is the fruit of our love, then it'd be very simple to conclude at this point that these wealthy people clearly love God more than the widow because they put in more money than the widow. And she just put in a penny. Uh, This would especially be easy for us to assume to be the case um, by other people even that might be looking on, because this offering box was likely um, uh, an above and beyond the normal tithe offering for these people. You know, a tithe, which is a normal giving, is, is a 10%. It comes from the Old Testament. They would give the first 10% of their, their first fruits, uh, which agrarian society, they didn't have just cash that they were giving around. It was usually the actual produce that, that they produced in their farm. They would give the first 10% back to the, 
to the temple. Um, and actually, you know, we won't get into the weeds here, but they actually were three different tithes. So they actually were giving 30%. Uh, much of like your taxes is almost like that because they didn't have a system like we have today. Anyway, we won't go there. I just did a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, so they would give this, the first 10% of their, their fruits. Um, and there was this offering here, uh, which is likely uh, above and beyond. So you give your first 10%, and then if you can, give to this offering above and beyond, give to it. And so these guys look great. Not only were they giving their regular duty of 10%, uh, but they were given above and beyond that. Large amounts um, to this offering. Um, it's commendable. They seem to have a devotion to God uh, that, that would uh, make the widows look small. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. He continues in 43. And he called his disciples to him and they said to him, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Uh, so he calls his disciples over. Hey, come and look and look at this. It's like my mom, you know, anytime she sees a sunset, she's like, guys, come on, look at the sunset. It's so beautiful. It's like, yeah, we saw it last night. It's the same thing. She's like, no, you got to come and see it. It's like that. Jesus saying, hey, I want you to come and see something beautiful, something commendable. So he calls them over and they're looking and it's, it's this widow that they're looking at. He doesn't point to the wealthy. He points to the widow and says, she is your model. This is strange on so many fronts, uh, but in this time, widows would have been completely dependent on their families for their life, for the sustenance. You know, they could not own property, uh, so their husbands would have died. They, they don't get the property. They didn't have many ways to earn money, uh, and if they didn't have a family to take care of them, they could very well end up on the so widows were one of the most vulnerable people in this time. This is why often a call throughout the Bible is care for the widows and orphans because they're the most vulnerable people um, in, in this time. And so a, a, a widow is not someone you want to, no one wants to be a widow. There's, there's no little girl that's like, when I grow up, I want to be a widow. It's not what's happening here. Um, they were the kind of people that you didn't want to be, um, that you prayed to the Lord that he wouldn't make you a widow uh, these are the kind of people that sometimes if they're on the street, you might even not see them, uh, that you might not notice. And yet here Jesus is watching, and Jesus notices her. The one nobody's paying attention to, the, the one that nobody else wants to be like. Jesus looks at her and she says, yeah, she's the one that you want to model your life after. She's the one that you want to follow, the widow. She's the one that's given more than these rich men. How is that possible? Is Jesus just really bad at math? I mean, I'm bad at math. Maybe Jesus isn't, that's not his strength. Of course he's good at math. He invented math. This is the answer. How is this possible? We see this in verse 44. It says this. For, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything that she had all that she had to live on. This says, Jesus cares deeply about our giving, but he is indifferent to the amount of giving. Which at first can sound like a relief for us, like, phew, it doesn't matter what I put in that box. As long as I drop in at least a penny, I'm probably good. Uh, but this is when the other shoe drops, because he wasn't watching for the amount. What was he watching for? He was watching for what it cost her. This is the hard part 
he's, he's not interested, he is very interested in your giving, but he's not interested in the amount, he's interested in the cost. The higher the cost for you, the deeper the love. I mean, even look at the contrast here. It says they gave out of their abundance, meaning their giving didn't hurt them. Uh, it, it wasn't costly to them. It didn't require much for them to give, like giving a dollar to someone who asked for money on the street. It, it doesn't cost anything for you. It's as if these rich men maybe took care of their other loves first, whatever they were, you know, maybe a shiny new wagon with some new shiny spinner wheels on their wagon. I don't know. But then they gave out of what was left over to the needy. It didn't cost them anything. It was safe. It shows a measure of devotion and love. It's a good gesture, but it, it's safe. The contrast is stunning. She did the opposite. It says that she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of nothing. All that she had, she gave. She had nothing left. This is a reckless and irresponsible thing for her to do. Much like the rewriting of the giving tree. This is the kind of giving that if you or I knew the widow and we saw her walking with this intent, we might try to actually stop her. Because it's... Uh, Maybe we'd say, listen, you need that penny to, to actually buy food to eat. The Lord clearly doesn't need this from you. He's okay. Uh, just keep it. He's okay if you keep this penny and just use it for your own needs. You have nothing. But that's not what Jesus does with her. Jesus watches it and he praises her. He says, this is what I want to see from you. This is how you should model your life if you want to follow me. Jesus doesn't measure our giving by an amount, by a percent, but by the cost. He doesn't want your money as much as he wants your heart. Which can be a little unsettling for us, because I think we just want a number. Just tell me what it is. What do I got to give to follow you to be a good Christian? That's just, give me my number. I'll write the bill. We'll send out bills every month. How about that? That'd be great. We should think about that, Darren. We'll send out the bills. You pay the bill. I'll preach a sermon, you know, a transactional thing. I think, you know, it's silly, but I think part of us actually want that kind of, just tell me what that is so I can pay it. But Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. You know, in fact, there's often this kind of debate on whether or not that Old Testament tithe that was required of the people was still required of the people in the New Testament. Um, because there, there isn't... Uh, there isn't a command in the, in the New Testament to give 10% of your income to the church. Um, so you'd be right to, to argue that 10% is not commanded in the New Testament. However, I think the New Testament actually seems to indicate um, that far more than 10% is asked of. Because of passages like this and how you see the New Testament church living where they had everything in common, where people are literally selling pieces of property so they can give that money to the church... Uh, has a completely different posture. If anything, the New Testament seems to indicate that a tithe is a starting point where we're not trying to give you a line in the sand of this is what you have to, to give, uh, but we're asking the question not how little we have to give to be a good Christian, but we're, the question we're asking is how little do we keep? The question isn't about amount, it's about love. It's about cost. And the easy thing would be to give you a simple rule. Jesus wants you to actually wrestle in your hearts with this. He doesn't want to make this easy for you because he knows how uh, cunning money is, how much money has a grip on our hearts. This is why he talks about it so much. We're not that much different than the New Testament church people. Money has always gripped people's hearts. 
His easy thing would be to give you a simple rule, but he wants you to wrestle with this. He wants you to ask hard questions. He wants you to keep your heart from idols. And I could argue that our culture's greatest idol is the self that is most seen in our spending habits. What he wants is for us to consider what does sacrifice look like? What, is it, what does it look like to give sacrificially? For the widow, this meant giving everything that she had. For us, that means that doesn't mean that we have to give millions of dollars to follow her lead. We just need to have hearts that have been captured by Christ. So what do we, what do, we do with this? What does this look like? You know, we can't just be reckless with our money and give everything. We, we still have bills to pay. We have to live our lives. God can't expect us to literally give everything we have. Uh, it's a, not sensible. And if that's what you're thinking right now, I think you're actually right. It, it's, it's, you're probably right in a lot of ways. It's not sensible for us to do this. Um, honestly, life was very different in this time. People lived in communities and depended on each other in communities in ways that we just don't live anymore. Um, for all of us, we're on our own to have our own houses, to save for our retirements. To, but back then, the, the widow would have probably lived with family. So she could give her penny and still have the support network, probably still get fed from the family she was living in. She had this community in this, uh, and that was deep in sharing needs and with each other. So maybe giving every penny we have to the church um, is an unrealistic thing to ask. But I don't think this principle... And what Jesus is teaching us with the widow is impossible for us to apply. We can still learn how to give sacrificially, learn to orient our lifestyles around our giving more than our spending. Because the truth is, it's not like we don't know what it's like to give or spend sacrificially. We, we know what it's like. We, we buy houses that are costly, that take 30-year commitments. We adjust lifestyles around those houses. We have car payments that we make commitments for. We save for vacations that are costly. And that's not to say those things are bad. Those things are parts of life. Those are good things. Um, we do those things. But it's just to say that you know what it's like to make a sacrificial gift towards something that you really want, towards something that you love. You know what it's like to actually even change your lifestyle to afford that thing that you really want, the thing you love. The question is, do we do that when it comes giving to the purposes of God and his kingdom? Consider actually reorienting our lifestyle so we could give more to the church. Even in this current, you know, fundraising campaign to raise money for this building. You know, we won't come anywhere close to reaching our goal if people don't give sacrificially. Uh, that could mean, hey, I'm going to give up a vacation for the next couple years. Or maybe I'm going to give up this home project that I really want to do and give that money to the church instead. Maybe it's selling something you have. It might mean you do something reckless, pulling from retirement to give to the church. Any kind of giving, any kind of uh, initiative is going to require sacrifice from God's people. And it's not about the numbers. Just like, just like with Jesus, it's not about the amount who, whether we hit our number for this capital campaign or not, it doesn't really matter because that's not what this is ultimately about. It's about us evaluating our own lives and this dark area of discipleship in our life that we is kind of off limits. It's about us actually opening up and actually looking at that place that's off limits in our own hearts and asking the uncomfortable questions. What do our spending, what does our giving say about our life? Is God maybe calling you to change that, to give sacrificially? Uh, to this campaign, but beyond that, to the general, to the church.
Are the purposes and kingdom of God worth adjusting your lifestyle to? The answer is it's only possible. What we're talking about here, giving sacrificially, is only possible if your loves have been captured. Kind of living uh, and giving requires your love. Apart from love, what I'm talking about will be a burden. It'll be sad. It'll be like the, the rich man who came up to Jesus and he said, hey, what do I got to, I want to follow you. And he's like, well, what do I got to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, sell everything you have and follow me. And remember that rich man, he walked away sad because it was too costly. The one thing he couldn't afford to do was to give everything he had. And if we haven't been captured by Christ and his love, this kind of giving, this kind of generosity will just make you bitter. Um, We'll be bitter at Jesus for taking our love. Jesus tells us that, listen, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. So if our loves have been captured by Christ, then this kind of giving and this kind of radical generosity is, is uh, not a chore for us, but it's a joy. Giving like the wealthy in, a story, in this story doesn't require love, but giving like the widow does. He doesn't care about the amount. It's not like Jesus needs your money. It's not like he's like, ooh, yeah, I'm just a little short this month. Um, he doesn't need it. Uh, he, what he wants is your love and worship, devotion. And sacrificial giving, I think, is an outward witness of those inward realities. Because this is not something that you can fake. Which I think leads to maybe one more obvious obstacle in applying this. You may be thinking, well, listen, if... If all I had was a penny, then I would gladly give it all, right? Uh, it's easy to give when you don't have a lot to give. So sure, if all I have is a penny, you can have it. Uh, but you can't expect us to give like that when we have so much, can you? Um, borrowing from others, he, one commentator says, I wouldn't tell that to Jesus. Because the story behind this story is that Jesus is both the wealthy and the widow, Right? Jesus is the, the wealthy one who came to give the widow. Jesus, who had eternal riches laid up in heaven, gave them up like they were just a penny. It's like the verse we read earlier, or words of comfort from 2 Corinthians 8 9. This is actually in the context of Paul um, uh, talking to the church in Corinth, asking them to give money to a need. Uh, he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, by his poverty, uh, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is why he did what he did. It says that he who was rich became more that we might become rich. Why would he do this? Because of his love. Right? If spending habits are a sign of love, the fact that Jesus gave up everything that he had for you became impoverished for you should tell you everything you need to know about how he feels about you. That he is in love. He loves you. And he gave up everything for you. The wealthiest in all existence became the most impoverished in all existence so that you might become rich in his poverty. His spending habits tell us that he gave more sacrificially than we could ever imagine. He spent himself, right? All that he had, even his breath, dying on a cross that you might have life in him. If you think about his disciples before, the, before he spent himself on the cross, remember, they actually tried to talk him out of this. You know, Peter, he's like, Jesus, we're not going to let anyone touch you. We're not going to let anyone hurt you. 
And that's when Jesus famously says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? He's like, this is reckless spending. Don't do this. Well, thank God Jesus didn't listen to his disciples, but he gave recklessly to us, pouring out himself on the cross that we might have life in him. You might have a deeper wealth that's beyond anything you could ever achieve with the bank account. His love in us, he calls us to do the same in the world. Until we are captured by this truth ourselves, we will never be able to give like this. Because deep down, we will still be tempted to trust in the riches of man, valued by possessions and stocks and bank accounts. And in Christ, we find monetary wealth is true wealth. It's fleeting. So Jesus is saying, listen, invest in that which is eternal, which is God's kingdom, his church and its purposes. I mean, imagine if we as a church began to learn how to do this. Imagine if we grew in our radical sense of generosity. I mean, if everyone gave sacrificially, we would have no issues funding things like new church plants and new ministries in our community and mission work around the world. I could probably look to hire someone tomorrow for a church plant in the Tri-Cities. Uh, we could do this and more. I mean, the thing that I was most excited about, even with this capital campaign, wasn't the much-needed building projects, but the chance to talk about God's kingdom, which I very much love to talk about, and generosity. Um, because we have an opportunity to further God's kingdom here, but it will require sacrifice from you and I. This doesn't happen easily. And, you know, maybe you're here and you're wrestling with this. Maybe you're feeling guilt, conviction, um, that you haven't been giving sacrificially or giving it all to the church and its mission. Maybe you are hearing this and feeling that conviction and that guilt. And I would say, don't waste that. Don't ignore it and just drown it out, but take it to the Lord. Uh, take it to your spouse if you're married on the way home. Talk about it. Talk to trusted friends if you aren't married. Evaluate this important part of your life uh, because this isn't about money. This is about love. And the most important thing to you about you is what you love. You are what you love. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I don't, I don't need the money, but I need your love. And this is an extension of your love. As you give this honest reflection, listen, greed is not an unforgivable sin. If it was, we'd be all in big trouble here. The Lord dies so he could forgive you and help you walk in truth. So all we need to do is just repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you. I think often we're afraid to admit our mistakes in these areas because we, we don't like being needy. We're embarrassed. But friends, this is something that we all struggle with. So repent, believe in the gospel that Jesus gave up the wealth of heaven to walk in the poverty of our sin and shame that you might share in his rich inheritance for all eternity. So repent and ask the Lord to help you learn to live in generosity, taking steps of generosity. You know, one of the things that happens when you begin to walk in, in faith in this is you actually experience so much joy. I think so many people, if you've never given, if maybe you've never even tithed before, and you're, maybe you don't do it because you're afraid. Like, where is this money going to come from if I do that? I, I promise you the money will come. I don't know how it happens. It just happens. Uh, you will not be without if you give to the Lord. So trust him. Walk. Have faith. And, and your faith will be rewarded as you walk in faith. 
So as you begin to evaluate this, ask God, where is he calling you to give sacrificially? Where is he calling you to adjust your lifestyle? Where is he calling you to follow and be like this widow? May we be a people who learn to give like this. May we be a people who have such a deep love for Christ and his kingdom that we're, we become a, a place of profound and radical generosity, the kind of generosity that people try to talk us out of. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven, we give you thanks for your words. I pray that your word would transform our hearts, that you would continue to draw us to you, that you would continue to draw our hearts to you, that we would not hold back anything from you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.